Welcome to From the Shed End, episode 89. Theo, how are you doing? Tired, tired, Theo, on a Friday evening recording. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Glad it's Friday because I need the weekend to rest and recover from probably what was the longest 48 hours of my life traveling. It felt like more traveling than just settling down in Madrid and enjoying the Spanish sunshine and a couple of cervezas. But, um, but yeah, I'm good. Like I said, happiest Friday. Looking forward to the weekend. And dare I say, looking forward to the, another Chelsea game on Saturday. How are you doing? I'm not bad. I mean, I'm, uh, if, if, if there's any consolation, I'm just as tired, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> um, still half term up, up north. So um, yeah, I've, I've literally done two weeks, two long stints of half term. So Anyone who's watching on the audio or listening on the audio, you, you'll notice that I've got massive bags under my eyes because I'm just not sleeping the best at the moment. But apart from that, I'm good. Like you said, it's the weekend. It's another another game where I'm sure we'll discuss a bit later on. Um, for anyone who's new, if you're new, we're noticing a few more people subscribing to the channel on YouTube. Make sure you continue to do that. So if you haven't done so, please subscribe. Um, give the video a thumbs up and also hit that link tree link as well. It'll take you to all the social accounts that you'll be able to see at the bottom of the screen as well. Um, Theo was active, as you could tell, if you've, you're an avid follower. He was active on there um, Wednesday, Thursday, even Tuesday, let's be honest. But um, we're going to get straight into it. Let's talk about your trip in Madrid. Um, the, the mammoth journey. I, think you, I, I looked today, I think you, was it uh, obviously London to Dusseldorf to Valencia I think then to Real Madrid I think is that how yeah. is that how it went close yeah close um, well yeah I secured my, my ticket to the to the game quite late compared to other Chelsea fans and given that it was a bank holiday week um, <laughs> there was a massive surge in flight tickets and if I didn't want to pay a small fortune, the easiest way for me and my friend to get to, to Madrid was to do London, um, Valencia. So that was a really early wake up on Wednesday morning, 5 a.m. wake up, in fact. So woke up super early Friday um, to Wednesday morning to train to the Gatwick Airport, um, Gatwick to Valencia, train from Valencia to Madrid, couple hours in Madrid to enjoy it before the game, have some food, have some beers, get to the stadium. There was a couple Metro um, journeys in between there to collect my ticket, get to the restaurant, get to the stadium, enjoy the game. Um, I mean, the atmosphere and the build-up, obviously the result, we'll get into that in a bit, but not so much. Um, Obviously Spanish police, they keep you in the stadium a good 40 minutes to an hour after the game to avoid all the Chelsea fans leaving at the same time as the the Madrid fans, which was completely unnecessary. So by the time I left the stadium, it was about 11.30, almost midnight Spanish time. Got back to the hotel, um, tried to get some sleep, and then there was a bloody mosquito <laughs> flying around the room, oh, yeah. um, which just stopped me from, <laughs> every time I closed my eyes, I'd hear the little buzz. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah, didn't sleep a wink. In the morning, early train, back to Valencia from Madrid, which is a good two hours on a train. Valencia, Dusseldorf, and that flight was delayed by half an hour, which meant that our names got called out in the airport in in Dusseldorf to make our flight last minute. We made it to the gate just in time. A bit of a sprint helped us get there. Valencia, um, but Dusseldorf, London, and then London. I just felt like death, absolute death. I was struggling, <laughs> um, no sleep, had some kind of stomach bug as well. Um, no goals to celebrate in Madrid either. Um, just all the traveling and countless hours on trains, planes and metros just caught up with me. Um, but luckily I'm feeling a bit more energized today um, to talk about the actual football that took place in Madrid on Wednesday night, was it? Yeah, Wednesday night. It was Wednesday. It's been, it's been, a, it's been a mad 48 hours. <laughs> yeah, I've lost track of time. I feel like I'm in another time zone right now. Yeah. 
no, it sounds, I mean, it sounds, I mean, obviously, like I said, you know, you posted a lot on, on the socials, but it did look like you had, um, you know, uh, albeit for the 48 hours or so that you was there, it looked like you had a good time and, um, you know, the, the game itself, I mean, let, let's, let's talk about the game because, you know, it was, it was a game where I think I said initially before, you know, a one nil loss wasn't all that bad. I mean, yes, it's Real Madrid. You don't want to talk about a defeat for your club at any point, but to walk out of the Bernabeu with a, a you know a one nil deficit to try and turn around at Stamford Bridge was probably more realistic than a two nil. Um, but I was more I was more annoyed at the performance I think than the result. I think the result was always going to be inevitable, but the performance really got my back up a little bit. But um, talk to me about the lineup first of all. I mean, it was a it, it was probably more it was a lineup that potentially we expected. But what was your thoughts on on the lineup? Yeah, I thought, like you said, the lineup we expected. I thought the wing backs in Chilwell and James, they are kind of our top choices at the moment. I'd say, arguably, without Badger Shield being in the Champions League squad, our three best centre backs in Kulabali, Silva, and Fafana. So that made sense. There was obviously a bit of um, nerves around the lineup, given that we were, I think, five or four or five players were one yellow card away from a suspension. But you still have to yeah. field your best 11 when you're playing Real Madrid and a Bernabeu. Um, I thought the midfielders was maybe where. You couldn't really have predicted because we played all three of our kind of standard centre mids in Kante, Enzo and Kovacic, which didn't really give us that many options for the two strikers. We only had Felix and Sterling, who I thought I could maybe count on one hand. The amount of times they touched the ball each, they really they were isolated for the whole game and they really struggled to get into the game. Um, and it kind of felt because they just didn't have that number, maybe that mount or that ever player behind them that sits behind to kind of provide them with a bit of service because it felt like Kovacic, Kante and um, Enzo really struggled to kind of break into the Madrid half and, you know, play their football that we're so used to. And even at times, um, I'm sure I, you picked up on it too, but James looked absolutely knackered. He really, really struggled. Every time he'd run up the pitch, he'd have to, he struggled to track back and it felt at times that maybe Kante kind of slotted into that right wing spot um, at times I felt like he really drifted on the right hand side but no I thought lineup kind of made sense maybe we really wanted to maybe play a bit more defensive hence the three midfielders um, but I kind of felt like the substitutes maybe could have bought, been introduced a bit earlier I would have liked to see Madrid at one point who didn't feature and I would have liked to see Mount maybe come off the bench a bit earlier as well Yeah I mean it was like you said you know, it was a very predictable lineup and um I, yeah, my my worry when I got to see the lineup was the the three midfield and the two up top, you know. And you think, I mean, I always think, obviously, no no Pierre Emerick Aubameyang or uh, David Datra Fofana were in the team, so I kind of thought maybe you know Kai Havertz he does sometimes give you these special moments in big games when it kind of matters. He he normally steps up to the plate, um, but I agree with you. You know, João Felix and and Raheem Sterling were just. It was almost, I think you said there was a chant that was being, um, oh, I can't remember what it was in terms of the attack, no attack. Yeah. Super um, Frankie Lampard. Um, we've got Super Frankie Lampard, Thiago at the back, no one in attack. Chelsea are going to yeah, win the yeah. Champions League. Yeah. yeah. And that was it. I mean, that is literally how we set up. And I, I almost felt like we set up maybe to try and get a one, to, you know, to come back with a, a one nil deficit or a draw, you know, a nil nil, um, you know, kind of camped out in our own half for, for a majority of the game and we looked like we were trying to just use Jao Felix or Raheem Sterling on that counter-attack if we got an opportunity to get the ball to them I, th- I felt like that's what we were trying to do but you know this is Real Madrid this isn't you know this isn't like a small team in the, in, in you know in Europe this is one of the best teams 
you know, prolific for, for winning the Champions League. So I think that was always going to be a risky thing to do. But um, let's talk about the first goal because I'm trying to cast my mind back to it now, but it was a goal that I, I feel like Wesley Fofana had a, before the goal, I feel, I feel like he had a really tough sort of start to the game and didn't really get into the groove of it. And maybe that was because Reese James was trying to get forward a bit more, um, you know, to try and make something happen going forward. But it really isolated and left Wesley Fofana on his own to deal with Vinicius Jr. Um, and that was probably the error that led to the goal um, for Benzema. I think it was um, a, a parry from Kepper, which ends up at Benzema, who, you know, a striker, any striker would just be naturally there to, to tap that ball in. But talk, talk to me about the first goal. Um, could it have been avoided? Should it have been a goal? <laughs> Should we have done better? Yeah, I felt... Um... I felt throughout the game, whether it was Cruz, Modric or one of the other, maybe Valverde, they just had acres of space kind of around the Chelsea penalty box. And even that's how the second goal happened as well. I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit, that goal in a bit as well. But there were three Real Madrid midfielders on the edge of the penalty box as that corner came in. Um, and it kind of felt like the same for that. I think I forgot who it was, maybe Valverde who put the ball in. I think Vinicius then headed, headed it, which was poor marking to start off. Um, and then again, Paul marking no one on Benzema for the, when Kepa parried it and probably the easiest goal he'll ever score. Um, I felt like it was an avoidable one. I felt like um, there were a few other maybe moments in the game where you, Real Madrid looked more threatening than that kind of passage of play. Um, so it felt almost like a goal out of nothing, especially that the bigger chance before that came to Chelsea when it was Jao Felix. Um, I think after two minutes, we're almost a one-on-one with um, Thibaut Courtois. And um, he just seemed to maybe just take that extra touch, which almost shifted the ball to the right a bit. Whereas I felt like he should have maybe shot a, a bit earlier or taken a touch maybe towards the goal rather than to the right of the goal. Um, yeah, so it was kind of a bummer to go 1-0 down, but I did like the response. I felt like it was um, soon after the goal, it was Raheem Sterling who had probably the best chance of the game for Chelsea. And we should know all about Thibaut Courtois getting down to ground um, well and he did that perfectly and that's a save probably one of the saves of the season in the Champions League um, given how it was at point blank range and almost so close to the keeper as well um, but yeah I thought the first half um, it felt like we were kind of in the game in the first maybe 10-15 minutes and then when that Real Madrid goal happened we kind of allowed them to play their football and you just can't allow Real Madrid to play that football they just look so fluid and the way they pass the ball whether it was Cruz, Benzema, Vinicius, Modric it's almost like they have this way of passing the ball where they know where each one of their players is going to be. And within maybe four or five touches, they're right outside our penalty box, whereas we couldn't string you know, together four or five passes in the, in the, in the own half, in um, Real Madrid's half. So I think it showed a difference in quality between the two sides as well. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I think it was, it was literally that, you know, there was, there was someone who's been in the job or been returned at the club for six or you know five or six days, hasn't had much time to, to assess the team or to try and gel with some of the players that he might not necessarily know as well as some of the ones that were there first time round. Um, I don't fault Frank Lampard at all for playing free midfield because I think you had to probably try and match Real Madrid in midfield with, you know, Valverde, um, Tony Cruz and Luka Modric. I think you had to try and match them in, in midfield. Otherwise, you would have just got picked apart by all three of them. Um, it, unfortunately for us, we don't have any. We don't have a Karim Benzema. You know, we don't have someone in front of goal that is. You know, you give him the ball, he's probably going to score. You know, we don't have that. And you're right. You know, Sterling had a really good chance. You know, we spoke about a Felix chance as well. I do feel with Wesley Fofana. Just quickly going back to him, I think the fact he got a yellow card so early probably changed 
how he approached that game with Vinicius Jr. and, and Benzema to deal with both of those. I think he got booked in the first five minutes of the game, um, which probably changed his approach. He looked very nervous after that as well. Um, there's a massive, I mean, it's a massive stadium, you know, used there. It's a big stadium. It's massive atmosphere. You know, I don't know, has he ever played? I know he's played at like international uh, level, I think, once, or he got he was meant to get his first cap. So he, he's never really played at that level in terms of, for me, in, in, in for, you know, in a, a top English club, playing at that level. It's a massive thing. So I think, I know, I know you sort of scapegoated amongst, the, you know, the three centre-backs as the one that was at fault for potentially both goals um, as well, but, I just think it was one of those, you know, I think it was a, it was a poor goal to give away. I agree with you that we, we sort of tried to grow back into the game, but we just had nothing, literally nothing in attack, you know, as a, as a crowd were chanting. So it was, um it was difficult to take. And then obviously first, you know, early into the second half, we lose Koulibaly, I think 55 minutes into the game, really good recovery run from Koulibaly. I think it's on Rodrigo to recover the ball. Um, was well in, he probably would have made it 2 0 at the time, but what a massive loss to lose Kulabali, who I thought was having a relatively good game. Um, was you surprised to see Kukurail come on as opposed to Trevor Chalabal at that point as well? Because he was warming up before the game, uh, Trevor Chalabal, uh, sorry, uh, early into the second half, so you would have assumed that he was going to be the one that came on, but it was Kukurail. Was that, was that a surprise to you? I mean, personally, it's not really that much of a surprise given that Cucurella's had a fair amount of games recently as the left centre-back and he's, whether that had been Potter or I think even um, he might have come on or started in, um, at the Molyneux last weekend as well. Um, but that being said, has he done well there? Apart from that Dortmund game, no. I don't think he has. So it is a bit of a surprise and I personally would have gone with Chiloba over Cucurella and I hope Lampard makes that decision um tomorrow uh, if he plays a uh, back three again whether that be Cucurello or Badger Shield but I just um, Chaloba or Badger Shield but I can't I don't want to be seeing Cucurello anymore at um, at left centre-back especially um, now that we've lost Ben Chilwell to a red card for the second leg if he is going to play let it be a left wing back but we can't afford to play him at centre-back again Yeah I'm glad you brought up the red card because uh, at that point I think I was I'm trying to think if I had a drink on, on, on the, during the game I must have done I wouldn't know I can't watch Chelsea without a beer but um at that point, I think I went to top my beer up because it was a silly red card. And I don't mean from Ben Chilwell's perspective. I know there's been sort of mixed sort of um, opinions online about who was at fault. Could Ben Chilwell have potentially let him through on goal? And, you know, it's, it's an op- opportunity for Kepa to potentially save that. But for me, Kukurea steps forward. Now, you've, for me as a defender, you've got to... I mean, it is Chilwell to an extent, but I think with Kukurea, you've got to you've got to know where your man is behind you as well. And I feel like he doesn't know almost where Rodrigo is. It then allows Cooker, it allows him to run through. Ben Chilwell, for me, has to, he has to make that challenge. He has to make the challenge because what else is he going to do? You either let him through, you either make the challenge in the box as well. It could be a penalty, but you have to make that challenge. And unfortunately for him, the referee, some referees are lenient. They give you a yellow, but you know he ended up with a red. What, what was your assessment of the red card? And could Cooker have done better? Uh, in that situation and and did Ben Chilwell have an other opportunity as opposed to take that red? No, I, I, I agree with everything you said. I thought it was Cucurella's mistake that led to the red card. Um, he just lets Rodrigo get past him way too easily and he's almost ball watching and he's not marking his man. Um, so it was poor defending. It almost felt like a, a left back trying to defend that centre back. That's what it felt like. You know, maybe you can make you can afford to make that mistake when you're playing left back when you've got your corridors on the, on the side but when you've got 
you know, when you're playing centre-back and a ball like that or a through ball can lead to a goal, then you can't be affording to make those mistakes. And in terms of the red card, I thought it was a red. And I think the fact that Ben Chilwell knew straight away and he walked off the pitch without even trying to protest, then he knew it as well. Um, and it was, like you said, it was one that he had to make. Otherwise, there's maybe a very slim chance, maybe 10, 15% chance that Kepa gets down quickly and makes that save. But otherwise, it's a one-on-one for Rodrigo and he is a good finisher. Um, he scored against us last season in the Champions League. Um, so yeah, big loss for the second leg because you know, we know how important Ben Chilwell is to us at left wing back. Yeah, it's a massive loss. I think, you know, when we look, obviously now we've lost Kolobali for, for several weeks, which we're going to get on to. Um, but losing Kolobali, losing Ben Chilwell for that second leg, I mean, it, it's obviously Kukuri is going to have to play surely at left left back. Um, I think that might restrict Frank Lampard to go back to a back four, something that we potentially don't want to see. Uh, you know, ideally we don't want to see, but I think he's got no option really unless he wants to play Chalabar, um, Wesley Fofana and Thiago Silva as a back three with, with Kukurea as a left wing back. And I just think if he if he does do that and he plays left back, left left wing back, I think that will really leave those centre-backs exposed. Um, you know, Rod, just having nightmares thinking about Rodrigo and Kukurea on a 1v1, it's, it's not something I want to think about. You know, Reese James, we haven't spoke about, you know, another player who didn't have the best of games and you just said before, you know, he's potentially carrying an injury or just doesn't didn't see him himself on the night what was what was your assessment of Reese James yeah I think Vinicius just had him had him for good on the night he got the best out of Reese James couldn't play the football that he he's so good at usually um he just didn't look comfortable um he got passed way too easily every time he he committed going out back up the pitch he'd kind of just jog back like you said, it almost looked like he was carrying an injury or he was tired. Maybe he's been overplayed recently since coming back from his um, recurring um, injury that he's been struggling with. Um, but I think him and Fofana just look like players that, I hate to say, but were out of their depth that night. They just didn't look themselves. They they really struggled. And I don't know if there was a bit of nerves as well. Um, like you said, Fofana picked up that yellow quite early um, and just couldn't really commit to challenges or no, Vinicius is probably the player, the player maybe with a, a Rafael Leal that you'd not want to play when you're on a yellow card. And yeah, yeah they just got the best. They they, they really struggled against um, Vinicius. And um, you just really hope that Reese James can maybe pick up um, a bit of a form maybe before the game on, um, on Tuesday and play that football that we're, we're so used to seeing and that football that maybe can get us a result and make Chelsea fans dream. But if he plays that same football that we saw at the Bernabeu on the Wednesday night, I don't think there's a chance, unfortunately. It's a massive task. It's a massive task. Um, Marco Asensio, second goal, you, you just spoke about it before in terms of, you know, the closing down or the lack of closing down. Um, I think we spoke about this earlier uh, offline and I was sort of saying, you know, Kepa potentially should do better. Uh, in that situation and and you know he does see it very late I think he goes through Wesley Fofana's legs but I just think it's avoidable it's such a it's a goal that you know a good goalkeeper you know you mentioned Thibaut Courtois before gets down early you know he, he anticipates the ball's going to go through the legs of Wesley Fofana I know he sees it late but you maybe I'm just being very critical of a goalkeeper that you know I think deserves a rest I think he's played a lot of football whilst Mendy's been injured but what was your thoughts on that goal? I know you said that, you know the closing down wasn't good, but again, is it not just an, an avoidable goal that we've we've allowed Real Madrid that space 
the opportunity to, to shoot the ball in the first place? Is it is it something we, we're just lacking? Offset pieces, again, another set piece that we've we've allowed a, a team to score against us. It was a very avoidable goal. Like I said, I think it was Cruz, uh, Modric and maybe Valverde or, or another player all on the edge of the box and just acres of space. And I do feel for Kepa. Um, he was unsighted and the ball went through Fafana's legs, which meant that he saw it at the very, very last second. Um, that being said, I think like you just picked up on a world-class goalkeeper, I think maybe stops that, whether that be a Thibaut Courtois, um, an Edison, uh, potentially a Jan Oblak. And I think that's the difference between us having a very good goalkeeper and a world-class goalkeeper. Yeah. And unfortunately, in you know, these big games like this, you do need a world-class goalkeeper that can you know get you the the result that can maybe give you a bit of hope going into the second leg. Um, and I think Kepa looked a bit shaky after that. He made a dodgy punch for, let's be honest, and what should have been an open goal for Benzema and he should have maybe put the tie to bed and made it 3-0. Um, but yeah, I think the defending wasn't great and the goalkeeping wasn't great either. And again, a very avoidable goal. All to play for in the second leg. Now, Frank Lampard did come out after the game. Let's let's talk about Todd Bowley first, actually. Todd Bowley before the game, um, I think he was having a meal with, with the Real Madrid president or some sort of Real Madrid affiliation uh, of some sort but he was asked before the game about the game uh, obviously you know Real Madrid were Chelsea going to win he said yes 3-0 turns Twitter into what I can only explain as a cesspit of craziness from some of the fans Um, do you see anything wrong with an owner who owns a football club back in his own club um whether it's a, a, an unrealistic scoreline, but what can there be an issue with the owner of the football club that he's actually just acquired supporting his club? I don't get, I don't get the outrage. Is there, is there an outrage I'm not seeing in terms of, you know, him saying three nil, is that the outrage or is it the fact that he's backing his, his team against Real Madrid? It, could you, could you see any issues with that? I don't really see an issue. No. And I have a lot of rival fans where they support United or Arsenal. They, they were sending me links to that video and I didn't really feel like responding because like you just pointed out, I don't feel like what's what's wrong with a owner backing his club and being confident. I think it's because maybe Chelsea fans or football fans were so used to having Abramovich own Chelsea Football Club, who was the polar opposite of Todd Bowley and would keep quiet, keep his head low. I think he only maybe did one interview in his whole time at Chelsea Football Club. Um, whereas Todd Bowley's a lot more vocal. He, get, he interacts with the fans. He walks in and out of Stamford Bridge. Um, as soon as a microphone or a camera's put in his face, he'll maybe have a little one of those famous one-liner quotes. I think it was the one in Barcelona when he said, I'm just here to have a meal, um, which just feels yeah. like quite similar. Um, but no, I don't feel like there's any issue of that. I think the whole reason maybe that there's such an outrage is because Chelsea are performing so well. I'm oh, so poorly, sorry. Um, but had we been, <laughs> if you know, if only, yeah, <laughs> if only. Um, but had we been performing so well, I think had he said that, people would have been like, he's spot on, you know, Chelsea are going to win 3 yep. 0. Real Madrid should be yep. worried. But the fact that we, we've gone four games now without scoring a goal with 10th or 11th in the league, I haven't really looked at the table. Um, means that you know, Chelsea fans or football fans will kind of make a big deal out of a, a small quote like that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's just, I, you know, I think this is one of those things where, and I think I said to you offline, that I feel like some of the fans now, now that Graham Potter's gone to turning their attention to Todd Bowley, which I find very weird, um, you know, a man that's put a large amount of money whether it's his own money or whether it's whoever's money, but he's the face of it. I'm sure some of it is his money that he's putting into this club. He's 
brought Enzo Fernandez amongst other players that haven't really performed, but that isn't the owner's fault. That's the players and, you know, it's a totally different story. But in terms of what he's trying to do for this club, I think you have to give him the time more so than a manager to try and do something with the club, what he's trying to do. Um, I don't think you can, you know, have to in less than a year or just over a year say that he's at fault for things that are happening on the pitch. I, I don't agree with that. So I do feel that now some of the fans are, and I don't want to sort of bash any fans because, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but I just think some fans now are turning their attention to the owner. The fact that potentially we're going to have some sort of FFP implications if we don't resolve things by 30th of June. The fact that we've spent so much and we still have a striker, it feels like they're turning their attention to the owner for the, the mistakes that are happening on the pitch or the lack of goals that are happening on the pitch, lack of momentum from the team. It just seems a really, really odd time to be a Chelsea fan. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It almost feels like now that Potter's gone and the players are so protected amongst some Chelsea fans that Todd Bowley's a new one to pick on. And I think there's still that kind of love for Roman Abramovich and that Todd Todd Bowley will never be able to replicate or get to that level of. So, um, so yeah, I feel like the fans are now um, having that kind of negative feeling or resentment towards um, the owner. So it's a, it's a strange one. It really is strange. Um, let's talk about two players who have been involved in talks away from the club this week. Levi Cowell being a, a, the first one and Mateo Kovacic being the second one. Both have been linked with moves away from Chelsea this week. Um, Levi Cowell, I'm sure, has been linked with um, the likes of Liverpool, Manchester City and Mateo Kovacic as well to Manchester City, who Pep Guardiola has come out previously and said he's a big fan of. Let's start with Levi Cowell, first of all. Um, massive talent, massive talent, doing very well at Brighton. Thankfully, he can't play this weekend. But um, talk to me about Levi Cowell. Should he should he leave? I know he's, he, he's really keen on not going back out on loan next season. Is there room for him in this in this team that we're, we're hoping to build for next season? I'm a big fan of Levi Cowell. Um, very unlucky not to get a promotion to the Prem last season at Wembley with Huddersfield. Um, and I think he's having a solid season at Brighton. And like you said, fortunately for us, he can't play. Um, he's cup, um, was it cup, cup tied? Is that the word? Uh, uh, yeah, against eligible, uh, yeah, against um, against us uh, tomorrow because he would have been playing against his parent club. But um, but no, I'd hate to see him go. And I think especially when you look at the age of some of the centre backs that we're still playing, obviously Benjamin Buston, Thiago Silva he gets another year and we do hope we can feature in a large part, uh, portion of our games next season. Um, as P who's featured at right center back, um, in the last few seasons, I think we won't see him at the club next season. Kula Bali, who as good as he's been since his return from the injury against Fulham at Craven cottage, I think he's 31, 32. And a part of me thinks that he might want to return to the Serie A in a, maybe a season or two. Um, so I don't think we'll be getting the best out of Koulibaly for the next few years. Um, Chiloba, I think it's still unsure what we're going to do with Chiloba's future, uh, whether the new manager is going to want to keep him, loan him or potentially sell him. Um, Fofana, he, he just seems to struggle with injuries. As good as he has been for Chelsea, I think like he's got another long-term injury um, that's going to succumb in the next um, next six months or two years. So I think we need to keep Levi Corwell. I'd hate to see him go, especially to one of those clubs you listed who are direct rivals to us, whether that be City or Liverpool. Um, I can understand him not wanting to go out and learn and wanting to stay, you know, stay put at his club. Um, but I just know that he's a player that um, similarly to maybe Tomori or Livermento or one of those youngsters that leaves and maybe just does works wonders at another club and is 
everybody looks at Chelsea and says, why did you sell that talent? Yeah, it's one for me, it's a no brainer. We have to keep him. Um, I think as with the great respect, I don't think Thiago Silva can play on another season. Um, I'd love him to stay at the club, but I just think he's, you are seeing, especially even during that Real Madrid game, you know, I know he'd done a really good last ditch um, ball line clearance, but we are relying on a man who's close to 40 years of age. And yes, he can have another, you know, I think he's just looking now, his contract runs out next, next summer, 2024. Um, how how long are we going to keep him in that team on a regular basis? I think we need to phase him out. And, um, you know, Aspilicueta, I think, will go, you know, he was due to go, if you remember, um, before he renewed his contract, he wanted to leave, he wanted to go to Spain. I think Barcelona was a club that was heavily linked with him. Um, you look at, you know, the likes of Ethan Ampadu, who's never really, you know, cemented himself as a, as a, a, a you know, a, a first team player at Chelsea. I think he might leave. You know, Chalabar, like you mentioned, is another one that, you know, hasn't played much football under Graham Paul, isn't really first in line when he's required to. Uh, we got to see with Kukurea coming on ahead of him against uh, Real Madrid. So I do feel there's an opportunity for, for someone like Levi Kowal to come in. You know, he's proven himself, you know, at Brighton. He's proven that he's a good defender. He might he might need someone experienced like Thiago Silva, you know, like Kukurea, Kula Bali next to him, or, you know, even blend him in, you know, get him, get a good, a good partnership with uh, Wesley Fofana and Badia Shield as well, you know, build for the future. If that's what we're trying to do in terms of this project, the long-term vision of bringing in youth, um, allowing the youngsters or the, you know, the younger players to come in and, and do a job. I think he's one of them. He's got to be one of those players that we can't look back on a Tamori and say, you know, why did we sell him or Mark Wehi and say, why did we sell him? You know, these are players that we have to now keep at the club because of the long-term project that we're trying to do. And I think he fits that that mould. He fits exactly what we're trying to do. So I'd be I'd be very surprised if we sell him to um, to Liverpool. You know, I know they they need a, another centre back alongside Virgil Van Dijk, but um, yeah, I just I just think it'd be stupid to sell him. I really do. He's such a good player. Completely agree. Yeah, I'd hate to see him go this summer. Let's move on to Matteo Kovacic, who. I didn't realise until I think it was early this week that his his contract runs out next summer as well. And it's not really been, you know, we've had the Mason Mount conversations about Willie Won't he and you know there was a lot of talk about Kante and there still is um around his contract as well. But nothing's really surfaced or been mentioned around Matteo Kovacic. And you know, you'd expect now at this point um a contract renewal to be in place or some sort of discussion, you know, we're coming up to the final year of your contracts, he's going to be hot property in the summer. If he, if he has got that nailed down now, I mean, surely Man City could prize him away. You know, he's Man City. So what's your thoughts on, on Kovacic potentially leaving to, you know, potentially the, the Premier League champions this season? Yeah, you just know he'd excel in that Guardiola system at City, don't you? Um, he yeah. seems like the perfect fit for, for a manager like Guardiola and seems like the new Chelsea way of doing business is if you've got one year on your contract and you're not willing to sign a new one, then we're going to sell you for a, um, some money um, th- this summer. And I feel that's what we're looking to do with Mount if he's not willing to put pen to paper. And I think we might do the same with Kovacic, especially if we need to free up some 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 room in the squad um, for FFP reasons by the 30th of June. And also um, if Kante signs that new deal, which is looking more and more likely now, then I think we might see Kovacic go. And I would have really been upset about this. Uh, couple months ago perhaps but I just don't feel like he's performed this season 
I feel like we've kind of seen a bit of a last season he was so important under Thomas Tuchel but this season he kind of he hasn't really fitted into any manager that he's played under he every the times he has played he just takes that extra touch and loses the ball quite easily he's not he doesn't really provide assists he's not a goal scorer we know that Kovacic comes with so much energy and um dynamism but it just feels like maybe it's the right time to sell him for a bit of money um again though a player I'd hate to see go especially to another rival but if the time is right now then perhaps it might might be sensible yeah, I mean, I I looked at the, before we start recording, the list of players that are due to have their contracts expire next summer. Thiago Silva, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Christian Pulisic, Mason Mount, um, Mateo Kovacic, Callum Hudson-Odoi, um, Bakayoko, Baba Rahman, Ethan Ampadu and Kepa. Oh, Kepa, sorry, he's 2025. I've crept into 2024. But both our goalkeepers are due to expire in two years. So, I have that list there. I mean, the, the ones that are due to go next or, you know, their contracts are expiring next summer. You would potentially expect at least, I'm going to say 60, maybe 70% of that list to go in this, in this next window. I mean, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, you can tell it's a late night recording. I can't <laughs> put my teeth back in. Um, Christian Pulisic, Mason Mount has obviously been, I still think he'll sign a deal. I think he'll, he'll stay at the club. Kovacic, Hudson Odoi, you'd expect to go. Bakayoko, Baba Rahman, Ampadu, Abamyang. You'll expect all of them to leave this summer. So if we do leave, uh, leave, you know, sell Kovacic, it does leave space for another midfielder. Apparently Lavia from um, Southampton has been the name that's been batted around a lot as well. And he's a very good player. I really love him. I remember watching him for um, Manchester City. I think it was a youth team at the time as well. Um, and they do have a buyback clause that they can activate in 2024. So if we do go in for Lavia, I think it will be this summer. And it does free up, you know, it does free up another space in midfield. But as you said, we both said before, you know, FFP, all of that does come into play as well. So we have to try and get some big money for some of these players if we do lose them. Um, with the FFP in mind, I think Kovacic will be on that list of players that will be in the shop window, unfortunately. Yeah, I think from that list of players you mentioned, I completely agree with you. If if not all of them, maybe 70 to 80% of them will be gone. And maybe not this summer, but the summer after. Um, and none of those players that you listed is a 100% guarantee that they'll be at Chelsea next season, in my opinion. Um, should Kovacic leave, though? It does leave a bit of a void in midfield. Because um, alongside Enzo or um, or Kante, is kind of the most natural centre mid. So Lavia, I think, is a brilliant name you mentioned. We could maybe revive those... Um, there's links to Anana from Everton, who's another good player. But another name that was mentioned last summer, summer was Edson Alvarez from Ajax, the Mexican midfielder, who's very defensive, solid. And maybe should we sign him? It would allow someone like Enzo to be a bit more free and venture up the pitch a little more, a little more offering a support to the more offensive players, which we haven't seen enough of so far. So another good name. But I definitely think um, if Kovacic leaves, we'll need to strengthen our midfield, which which isn't a priority right now, given that we, we don't have a striker and that should be our priority. Um, and it's also the goalkeeper dilemma. If you let one goalkeeper go, if not both goalkeepers, but that's another maybe um, issue to address this summer or next summer. Yeah, I read th- I read earlier on today about uh, Oblak. Yeah. If we get Lewis Enrique, I think you tweeted about it. Sorry, yeah. I think it was your tweet that I was reading. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, if we if we get Luis Enrique, you can potentially see our black. And I, I feel with our black, it'd be it'd be two years too late. I think we were linked with him before we got Mendy. I think before we signed Mendy, I think we were heavily linked with him. Uh, we've been linked with Onana as well. 
Um, so yeah, I, I just we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Let's let's move on. I don't want to think about transfers at the moment because it, it stresses me with FFP um, trying to get my head around it all. But I'm not going to say it. I nearly did. But we have a game. I'm just going to keep it short and short and sweet. We've got a game tomorrow, three pm. Um, it isn't a must win. <laughs> it is an important game. Our season's over. Um, we are currently tenth. Brighton are currently pushing for Europa League conference, maybe even Europa League football or Conference League football. Um, they're on forty six points. We're on thirty nine. We do need that one point to guarantee safety for Premier League football next season. So, Theo, talk me through Brighton and Chelsea or Chelsea versus Brighton. Um, as we said before, Levi Cowell can't play in this game due to him um, playing against, can't play, not being able to play against his parent club. But what's your thoughts against Brighton, how well they've done this season uh, under De Zerbi as well? We have to credit them first of all. They've done really well. Yeah, really tough game, really tough fixture. Uh, I think we had a brilliant record against Brighton up to October earlier in the season when they beat us 4-1 at the Amex, which was our first ever defeat to Brighton. And De Zerbi's done a fantastic job since taking over from Graham Potter, who I felt set the foundations. But De Zerbi seems to have taken him to that next level and they're playing a lot more attacking than they used to under Graham Potter. Um, got some fantastic players, really fantastic players. Um, Caicedo, who almost um, left for Chelsea or Arsenal in January. But the one player that I think um, we're going to have to really keep an eye on um, is Matoma. For me, he's been fantastic this season. Honestly, every game he's yeah. played and he looks like he's going to score, do something special. Um, so yeah, he's going to be a a good player for Brighton and I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up at a Liverpool City in a year or two. I think I've got a WhatsApp message to a friend and I said to timestamp this message because it's going to happen. Um, but in terms of the actual fixture tomorrow, I'm expecting a very tough game. Um, like it's always been of Chelsea this season there's nothing to guarantee three points but even more so when you're playing Brighton which I shouldn't be saying but that's been the case this season Um, what we can expect from Chelsea and I think Frank Lampard kind of confirmed it in his press conference earlier earlier this afternoon was rotation we're going to see some fresh legs and I think um, this could be a chance for Edouard Mendy to to play between the sticks and replace Kepa uh, maybe regain some form and momentum um, before the end of the season and he was the, the goalkeeper that Lampard originally signed to replace Kepa. We need to remember that. I think it's another chance maybe to play a natural number nine in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who came off the bench against Wolves, which was an indication that he will feature um, for the next couple um, fixtures in the Premier League. I'd like to see maybe Mudrik and Madweke play alongside um, Aubameyang. If not, Mason Mount, who I thought had a decent cameo coming off the bench at the Bernabeu. And um, if it wasn't for our former Chelsea player Tony Rudiger I thought that was going to be a goal um, yeah. big big block yeah. from him but yeah it's going to be a very tough game um, like I said I'm expecting rotation if not um, a lot of those players that featured against Bernabeu, uh, against Real Madrid will be rested um, I think maybe just maybe Enzo uh, Silva might re- retain their, their positions um, Chilwell maybe given that he's suspended for the Madrid game on Tuesday and that's something else we need to consider Madrid on Tuesday the tie's not completely over there's still a bit of hope and like Lampard said um, Chelsea Football Club always need to believe and the players need to believe mm-hmm. so I think he's going to really focus on that game and maybe rest some big big names for this one um, but yeah I'm expecting a tough game 3pm kickoff. Um only gives us two days to rest before Madrid as well um, yeah tough fixture yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm just looking at your lineup here. I'm going to put it on, yeah. on on screen now. Um, so Loftus, you've gone for Mendy, Loftus Cheek, 
Trevor Chalabar, Thiago Silva, Adishio, Ben Chilwell, which is, makes perfect sense seeing as he can't play on, on Tuesday. Um, Kante Chukwemeka. So you've gone for all in midfield. Um, M- Mudrik, Abamyang, and I've put Mason Mount in there. I know there was a bit of... Yeah debating whether he's going to have Madweki or Mason Mount, but I've put Mason Mount in and I, I, I really like that lineup. You know, I really do. I think it's a lineup that, we, you know, gives a lot of options because a lot of players at rest, you know, we still, as much as we're 2-0 down, you know, Tuesday is a massive night and I will say that is a massive game for us. You know, that is a must win. You know, I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that, you know, Brighton, it's whatever, you know, the, the season's over. As long as we get a point before the end of the season, I'm happy if we, we end up on 40 points. But I think with, with, um, you know, with this lineup, it gives us that that almost that spine of the team. Still, you look at maybe Silva, Kante, you know, Mason Mount coming in, who I thought really play, played really well when he came on. I know he didn't have a lot of time to change the game, but as soon as he came on, I think he stuck one on. I think it was Carver Hell, and he left a you know he left his boot in there. It was a bit of a naughty challenge, but I like that when you're when you're two 0 down. I want to see a bit of fight for some of the players, and you know that was that's what he done. You know, and like you said, he was very unlucky not to score apart from Tony Rudiger. So. Um, this gives us a lot of options. Mudrick, I feel, has to get an opportunity at some point before the end of the season. Um, and Aubameyang going up front, for me, you know, he's not in the Champions League squad, so it allows, you know, the Jao Felix or Raheem Sterling to be rested. And I think Enzo needs that rest. I really do. He looked really tired. He was so frustrated um, on Wednesday night. You could just see the, he was trying to do so much for the team and just frustration was kicking in. But he's played a lot of football. You think he's when played, we signed him, I don't every, think... He started every game since we signed every him, game. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. He has. So he's, he needs a rest. And Kante coming back from injury, I think, will will help give us that opportunity to rest um, Enzo. Um, just quickly, before we move on, I've gone from my lineup in terms of... Now, I've gone to a back four. I've gone for a back four and I'm not happy with it. <laughs> I disagree with it, but this is I've gone for the lineup I think Lampard will go with as opposed to what I would do. I agree we should stick with the three at the back with the wing backs, but I think he'll go with Trevor Chalabar as right right back. Um I think he'll obviously stick with uh, Chilwell left back, Badia Shill for Farno as your centre backs. I've gone with Kanten, Ruben Loftus cheek in midfield. Um again, not happy with that at all. Um but I think with Kante being there. I can see Loftus-Cheek coming into this team. Um, I hate, I'm hoping it's not Conor Gallagher, who I really think it will be alongside Kante. Uh, I've gone for Mason Mount just in front of of those there. Um, well, I think, I, I still, and I think I said this last season or maybe earlier this season, but I just don't like seeing Mason Mount on the wings. I don't like to see him on the wings. I don't think he's effective. I think if you play him just behind, you know, a Bami angle, you play him just behind that front three, um, who have gone for his Mudrick and Madweki on the right with Aubameyang down the middle, play Mason Mount just just there, just behind Aubameyang and just allow him to make something happen or maybe take a shot on or something. So, um, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not keen on the back four, but I think with the, obviously, Koulibaly now being injured, we have to rest Thiago Silva for me. I mean, 40 years of age, he should be thinking about not playing in these kind of games, you know, against Brighton. He should be looking forward to playing against Real Madrid and, and wrapping him in that cotton wool. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's it's really difficult to predict a Chelsea lineup this season. All season, you know, we can't predict them because we just don't know what Graham Potter was going to do. Frank Lampard seems to be unsure whether he needs a back five or he needs to back four. So it's going to be hard to, to predict. But um, 
I just wanted to say as well, I think his name's Evan Ferguson. I think he's the youngster that's been up front for Brighton. He's been really good up front in front of goal. He scored some really good goals for them. And I agree with you, Matomo is one of those players that will end up at a top club. Um, and Brighton are just a threat. You know, I don't think they've beaten us at, well, they haven't beaten us at Stamford Bridge, I don't think. Um, I think the last game was a draw. Was it nil-nil? Uh, last season I was coming was to you a... with the stats I think the stats yeah. is normally your, your thing but <laughs> yeah last season we drew 1-1 with them I think Lukaku had a the season before then I think yeah Danny Welbeck got um, the equaliser in the final a... minute the season before yeah. that was that weird nil-nil after the Super League protests yeah. outside was, I think it was yeah it was so I mean we, I mean, I did read a stat after the, the Champions League game to say that we've it's the first time in 30 years we've not scored in our last four consecutive games so, I mean, we've got to score on, on Saturday. We have to. I mean, we can't allow this record. The record breaking is it's got to stop for all the right reasons. Um, I, I mean, I'm going to go get your prediction um, because I, I, I'm worried to give mine, but I'm going to go for yours first. I've been relatively optimistic recently, but I think that stat you just said is just not reassuring at all. So I think it's going to be a defeat. I think Brighton will beat us 2-1. And I think that one goal is maybe the stepping stone we'll need to kind of securing another goal or maybe multiple goals if we're going to mount any form of a comeback against Madrid on Tuesday. So yeah, 2-1 Brighton. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go literally the other way. I'm going to say 3-0 Brighton. Um, I think we're going to get hammered. I really do. Unfortunately, I think I do. And I hate to, to say that. I just think we're... You know, I read as well, I think Erlen Haaland's got more Premier League goals than we have. I mean, it just tells you the lack of score. I just don't know, honestly don't know where our, our goals are going to come from, unless it's a, a fluky free kick or, you know, a, a mistake by Brighton. But we've just got no one in front of goal that looks like they're going to score. I just I honestly don't see where, you know, I looked at our fixtures for, for the rest of the season and maybe bar, maybe Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth away is going to be a tough one. I think we, I think we should beat Bournemouth, but I looked earlier on. We haven't got the best record at, at their ground. Um, Arsenal's always going to be a tough game, but you look at Arsenal this season. You know it's, it's not worth even talking about. So um, I'm going to go three 0 I'm going to stick with my three 0 I think they've got too much going forward. They're pushing for European football. That's a massive thing for Brian Football Club. You know European football. You know, you think back to a couple of years ago, I think they were in Division 2. They were kicking the ball in Division They didn't have the Amex. They were playing in a, sort of like an like a outside ice hockey stadium or something. So they've done so much in the last couple of seasons to be where they are, um, rightfully so as well. But I just think they'll be, they'll be too much for, for us to, to cope with on the day. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not looking for. I mean, I said at the start of the pod, I wasn't. I was looking forward to the game tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to change my mind, and yeah, I just feel like Brighton have more to play for at the moment than Chelsea, so they might have that just extra spring in their step and energy tomorrow. And yeah, Matoma, Caicedo, Welbeck, you know they're going to be up for it tomorrow. So I think your prediction maybe very March. realistic. Solid March, yeah, yeah, another one. Yeah, they've they've got too many good players in their team, but let's hope we're both wrong. Let's hope we 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 see Chelsea hammer them five nil. Um, it's not going to happen. So I'm just anyone who's listened to this uh, before kickoff, it's not going to happen. 
but let's hope. Um, if you haven't done so already, please go and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you give the video a thumbs up. Um, leave your comments as well. Let us know what you think about our lineups. Let us know what you think about the Kulabali injury, the Ben Chilwell sending off. Our hopes for Tuesday as well. Um, also hit that Linktree link in the description before you leave and follow the social accounts as well. Theo, as always, thank you very much. I know it's late on a Friday. Um, it's really late on a Friday, actually. So by the time you're listening to this, you've probably listened to it just over an hour ago before we finished recording. So thank you very much for listening or watching. We'll be back next week with more content from The Shed End, episode 89. Thank you very much for watching. Nearly knocked my laptop. All right, let's go.